Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coming up on Studios America, I'm joined by Lila Rose to talk about the latest in defending our unborn children. A horrific building collapse in Miami has rescuers scrambling to pull people out of the rubble. We'll look at the details there. And Joe Biden has announced his infrastructure plan. So the question is just how much did this administration cater to the squad? Oh, I can't wait to find out. We'll break down the deal for you as we do bipartisanship. Stu does America. Good news, everybody. We have a bipartisan bill that's on the way. We've got a deal in place. Republicans and Democrats coming together for your infrastructure needs. I'm excited about it. Something like $950 billion or more uh, is coming your way in new spending on roads and bridges. We'll get into all the details in just a minute. However, I will say we do have one really sad development. Oh, don't tell me Alexandria is a victim today. Now, she's a victim every day, but this is a day in which we're talking about a trillion dollars of new spending. What could possibly have gone wrong in Alexandria's world today? I hope nothing serious. She tweeted about it, of course. She said, the diversity of this bipartisan coalition pretty perfectly conveys which communities get centered and which get left behind when leaders prioritize bipartisan deal-making over inclusive lawmaking, which prioritizes delivering the most impact for the most people. You see, there's too many whiteies in the picture about the deal, which of course is a massive problem if all you care about is skin color. And that is how AOC is a victim today. unbelievable. Okay, so I will say this. This is going to shock some of you. I will say this. I kind of agree with AOC in one way. Bipartisanship sucks. I know everyone likes it. I know everyone will tell you it's the most wonderful thing in the world. I know if you test that in polls, it's going to be like a 90% approval rating. Bipartisanship, both sides working together, but in almost all circumstances, bipartisanship sucks. It sucks for everybody. It usually is a giant disaster in the making, which is what we're looking at here. Let's go through some of the deals of this bipartisan bill. We're talking about $953 billion. Some places are saying uh, it's, you know, 500. It's, it's hard to exactly tell how much is, uh, is going to, this whole thing is going to cost us. And every number I'm about to read off is going to be higher in the end because that's how these things work. But there's some that are saying it's about 950 billion. 
Some are saying it's about 1.2 trillion, but we know there's lots and lots of brand new spending coming your way. Here are some of the things. Roads, bridges, and major projects, 109 billion. You might say, wait a minute, I thought that's what the infrastructure bill was. Why is only $109 billion going to roads, bridges, and major projects? Well, you haven't heard all the other wonderful things like safety. Safety, 11 billion. Public transit, 49 billion. Passenger and freight rail, 66 billion. Electric vehicle infrastructure, 7.5 billion. As if we haven't given Elon Musk enough money already. Electric buses and transit, 7.5 billion. Reconnecting communities. That's right, reconnecting communities, 1 billion. We're going to be building water slides from each city to the next neighboring city. And airports, $25 billion. Certainly haven't bailed out airports enough over the years. Uh, we also have ports and waterways for $16 billion. Infrastructure financing, $20 billion. And that's the money, the new money that we're spending to pay for the old money we already spent. Water infrastructure, $55 billion. Broadband infrastructure, $65 billion to get the Lumbee tribe on the internet. You know, I, uh, it's this weird thing. Somehow broadband internet is a human right now. Now, it's weird because for all of our history, no one had it until like the mid-90s. In fact, any internet at all until the mid-90s. Broadband was much later than that, but now it's a human right. It's amazing how these things happen. Uh, environmental remediation for $21 billion. I'm sure there's no waste there. Power infrastructure, including grid authority. I mean, there could be some money we could actually spend on power infrastructure. That would make some sense. $73 billion. Western water storage, $5 billion. And resilience, $41 billion. They just want to make sure you got a backbone. So it's going to pay you $47 billion just to create a little bit of resilience for you. Uh, some of the details, some, I mean, look, some of the stuff will wind up being okay. Uh, some of it will be worthwhile spending. A lot of it's going to be wasteful, and I think uh, you probably know that. This is what happens when you get into the world of bipartisan bills. It sounds like a great idea. Sure, in theory, it could be. But there are three kinds of bipartisanship. Let me explain the three kinds of bipartisanship uh, to you for just a second. First of all, you have nice and easy. Nice and easy bipartisanship is the bipartisanship that everyone thinks about. When you think, oh, well, bipartisanship, we know that's a positive thing, you think of type number one, the nice and easy kind. Now, easy is easy because both sides are coming together for a common cause. They're working together. And it's nice because every once in a while, there's a subject that is very easy for both sides to agree on and also worthwhile. To throw something at you like, um, let's say, uh, health care for military uh, veterans, okay? That, generally speaking, there's quibbling about how much will be spent on something like that. But generally speaking, both sides, uh, at least want, no one wants to admit not wanting uh, to give health care to our, our, our troops. That's the type of thing that they'll come together for and they'll say, yeah, you know what, we're going to do this. We'll do it together. They're not really dramatic votes per se. There might be a little bit, you know, you might have a couple people voting against it because they think it's not enough money or it's too much money or they don't like the exact way it's spent. But generally speaking, there's mass consensus on both sides that this issue is, is worthwhile to address and also pretty easy to uh, figure out how we're going to address it. 
and both sides have, generally speaking, the same amount of money in mind within a couple hundred billion dollars. And they come together and they say, you know what, we want to make sure that people who are injured at, in war can come back and get, and get solid health care. That should be easy. And yes, occasionally our government actually engages in something like that. Something that is nice. Something that is easy. Next up, we have panic. Yes, the panic sort of bipartisanship is what we've seen over the past year or so. Uh, what we saw after 9-11, for example, with the Patriot Act. Now, there were some things that were good in the Patriot Act. A lot of things that were written one way in the Patriot Act and were executed a completely different way, even according to the people who wrote the bill. Uh, but uh, look at COVID over the past year. Let's say that first bill uh, that, that the Trump administration signed off on, Republicans and Democrats came together, almost universal agreement that, hey, we're closing down a lot of businesses. We need to give some money to these businesses. We need to give you some money uh, for, we need to get some money for testing. We need to money, some money for vaccine development. We need some money for treatment development. We need some money for uh, people, who, uh, for PPP. All these things happening at once. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's, it's firing up. We don't even have tests yet. We got to ramp all this stuff up immediately. Both sides come together, almost no dissension in the vote. We need this right now. This happened a few times uh, over, over the, the uh, pandemic. And the first time, I think you can argue, pretty worthwhile spending. Second one, a little bit less, but okay, I can understand. Like that was when we were getting into the period of businesses being closed for multiple weeks into months. You got to help these businesses, especially considering you're the one telling them they can't open. Okay, third and fourth and fifth and sixth and 29th uh, uh, bipartisan agreement goes from nice and easy, which the first COVID uh, agreement was, to panic. People are freaked out. They want to do something. We got to do something. Let's just throw money at it and we'll figure it all out later. When a terrible tragedy happens, when something really big goes on, that's when both sides will come together and throw gigantic gobs of money at a problem in a bipartisan fashion, and we will wind up wasting almost all of it. This happens all the time whenever there's some serious challenge to our country. This is kind of the way we deal with it. Sometimes, especially maybe those first dollars make some sense. You know, look, should we be spending giant amounts of money now? I mean, Joe Biden passed a massive coronavirus uh, relief package, you know, when he was president in 2021, when there were still tons of money that hadn't been spent from the previous packages. Then we're just getting into the point of panic. So that is type two of bipartisanship. And type three is what we have and are discussing today. Rock in a hard place. You're in between a rock and a hard place. This is the type of situation where one side, usually the Democrats, want to spend a, a lot of money on something that we don't really have a lot of bipartisan agreement that we even need, let alone to spend that much money. And usually what happens is Republicans come up and they say, we want to be bipartisan. So we're going to offer to come on board to spend less money than you want to spend on that thing that we don't really need. Uh, even if some people might even think they need it, but they don't think that they need to spend that much money. So the Democrats come out and we want to say we want to spend two point five trillion dollars and Republicans say, oh, yeah, well, we're the opposition party. Therefore, we only want to spend one trillion dollars. 
And so they quibble back and forth. They meet in the middle. And instead of having one party saying, wait a minute, we shouldn't be spending this money at all. We don't even have it. Let alone we're spending it on all this. We're spending it on resilience. <laughs> what are we even spending this money on? And they go down this road where instead of saying, wait a minute, we're going to go another way. Here's our proposal. We're not coming on board with your nonsense. Uh, they just meet them in the middle and spend, in this case, about a trillion dollars, maybe a little bit more, probably by the end, a lot more on a bunch of uh, projects uh, that they want, you know, the, the Republicans to go along with uh, and the Democrats to go along with as well. And the thought here is interesting. The thought is theoretically something worthwhile. The thought is to say, hey, the Democrats want to spend a lot more. If we get on board, we can convince them to spend less and that will be a good outcome. It's, it's lower on the continuum of risk, right? We're, we're lowering the amount of risk. We're lowering the amount of spending. If we don't come on, they're going to do whatever they want and they're going to spend even more. Does this work? I mean, there's a, there's a theoretical path where something like this works. Let me paint it for you. Democrats want to spend $2.5 trillion. Republicans want to spend zero. So they come in and they say, well, what if we meet you at $1.2 trillion? We're saving $1.3 trillion. We can focus the spending on things that we want, maybe get a couple of our priorities mixed in there. And, and then at the end of the day, we've saved a trillion dollars and we can all feel good about ourselves. You get something that you want, we get something that we want. The rock and the hard place, right? Not really a good option, but you're improving yourself maybe a little bit. The problem here is that the Democrats have already said that this is not it. They've already said that whatever Republicans don't give them here, they're just going to jam through through reconciliation later on. And it's inexplicable. Nancy Pelosi has come out and said it. She said, and, and shall I quote, because I have a Nancy Pelosi sucks pen from NancyPelosiSucksPen.com right here. And I have used it to highlight these quotes from Nancy Pelosi. And Nancy Pelosi says, there ain't no infrastructure bill without the reconciliation bill. To, to take it out of Washington craziness, if you haven't been following this debate all that closely, the infrastructure bill is the one we've been talking about. Uh, bipartisan, everybody working together to spend $1.2 trillion on roads and a lot of other stuff. The reconciliation bill is up to $6 trillion, probably more like four or five. Um, could be as little as two or three, though where the Democrats come in and say all the stuff we know Republicans won't agree with, stuff like climate spending and, and new programs um, for people, uh, you know, long um, uh, family leave programs that will be paid and, and child care programs and all the sort of big programs that Democrats want they know Republicans won't go along with, they'll jam that through with 50 votes. They only have one more opportunity to do this. One more opportunity to get a bill through with only 50 votes. That's why infrastructure, they're, they're playing with the Republicans and saying, okay, we'll do that bill. You got to come along with us and get us to 60 votes on that one. Right now, they have 11 Republicans who have agreed to come on board. They've got the 60 votes that they need on that. Now, the only way it makes any sense at all to go along with the Democrats on a bill like this is say, to say, you know what? We'll give you your $1.2 trillion. We'll, we'll build lots of new bridges and probably name them after Democrats. And in exchange for that, you won't 
try to jam through another reconciliation bill. You won't spend another three, four, five, six trillion dollars on stuff we don't want because we're doing you the favor of coming along with you on this. You're getting the bipartisan bill. You're getting all the good press. You're getting lots of spending and we will stop you from doing it next time. You need Joe Manchin to say, you know what, if you guys sign on to this infrastructure bill, I will not go into the reconciliation bill. However, the president has said, if they don't come, I'm not signing. It's real simple. Meaning, if they don't get the reconciliation bill, which is the 50 vote bill, bill they don't need any Republican support on, then he's not gonna sign the bipartisan bill. This is not bipartisanship. They can jam all the stuff that they left out of the first bill into the second bill. They can spend all, there are some rules on what you can do with that second bill, with the 50 vote bill, the reconciliation bill. But, uh, you know, if you can get climate change through it, you can get almost anything through it. So the, the Republicans have essentially negotiated against themselves. Instead of just opposing this and saying, no, we don't want it, they're going to come on, give Joe Biden some big bipartisan win, and then they're going to wind up spending all this money anyway. It makes no sense. If you want to, if you're getting a concession from Manchin or Cinema or somebody else that they're not going to force through these extra trillions of dollars, maybe you can make an argument to go along with a bipartisan bill. But why the hell are you doing it if they're going to just rake you over the coals anyway with a 50-vote bill that's coming next week that they're saying they won't even agree on a bipartisan bill unless that reconciliation bill comes? This is yet another pathetic failure from the Republicans. It's another uh, pathetic effort by the Democrats. And somebody should step up and try to stop it. There's no reason to go along and get them to 60 votes if they're just going to turn around uh, 10 seconds afterward and they're telling you in advance they're going to do this and spend another three or four trillion dollars. Just say no. Back in a second. There's a, a magical fun land somewhere in the world where they make built bars. It's kind of like, um, you know, the uh, Willy Wonka factory, except these bars come out and they're just as delicious, but instead they're healthy. That's weird. Built bars have nine delicious flavors all the time. Plus they have these limited time flavors that come out. We just got a box of the uh, grasshopper cookie uh, built bars. Got to try them. They also have coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie. Uh, peanut butter brownie, uh, double chocolate, salted caramel, uh, all sorts of stuff. Plus, they're like 130 calories, so they're super low. They can be eaten as a snack. You can eat um, uh, as a dessert. You can eat them as a meal. You can eat a couple of them as a meal. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, uh, 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com today. Built.com. Use the promo code STU15. They will save 10% off your first order. 10% off your order with the promo code STU15. They just want you to think about a lot of different numbers. So STU15 to save 10% at built.com, B-U-I-L-T, built.com. Go there now, built.com, promo code STU15. I'm delighted to have back in the studio Lila Rose, author of Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for change in a wounded world. Lila, thanks so much for coming thanks in again. Thanks for having me back, Stu. Uh, it's great to see you. Um, this week I was 
pretty interesting. Um, and you obviously talk about life issues all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love the story. I mean, I love the story. This you know, CNN version of it, I'm not as in love mm -hmm. with. But uh, talking about Richard Scott William Hutchinson, he was born five months premature, recognized by Guinness as the world's most premature baby. This is like the greatest story of all time, and he's it's like doing awesome. well. It's awesome. He was born at 21 weeks, and like you mentioned, CNN, when CNN ran an article on him, they didn't tell the reader how old he was when he was yeah. born, which is very suspect because CNN's yeah. very pro-abortion. Mm -hmm. um, so a baby can survive outside the womb with medical help now, thanks to our medical advancements at 21 weeks. And that's awesome news yeah. you know, for preemies and parents of preemies. It also should call into question, in virtually every state in the United States, you can get an abortion up until 20 weeks or passed. Yeah. And in, in many states passed. And that's just, this baby is a baby we're celebrating. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records, as he should be. But that same age baby is being killed legally. Yeah, all over the country. All over the country. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because 20 weeks is seen as this really restrictive measure when you're watching the news. Like you're watching CNN and they mm -hmm. talk about a state who's trying to pass a 20 week abortion ban. They're treated as if they just hate women and they're Neanderthals when I mean, even going back to Roe versus Wade, so much of that was based on the idea of viability, which was a flawed concept in so many ways. But we have moved way to the left of Roe versus Wade. Yeah, well, I, most of the Democratic Party today, I mean, the platform of the Democratic Party today, the president of the United States today, is for abortion through all nine months, funded by the taxpayer. And you might have seen the press conference recently, the press secretary for Joe Biden yeah. is asked, and, and Speaker Pelosi was asked the same question by a different reporter, they're asked, is a baby, a fetus at 15 weeks, so this is just six weeks before this little Richard was born mm -hmm. and survived outside the womb, is a baby, so just six weeks, a month and a half. Yeah. Give it a month, a month and a half. Let him, let him be pregnant for a month and a half more to give this child a chance at life, a mm -hmm. whole 70 years. Can you wait six weeks, six more weeks, right? But Mississippi's trying to ban abortion at 15 weeks. It's going to the Supreme Court. So reporters are asking sec press secretary and Speaker Pelosi, is a fetus a human being at 15 weeks? And what did they say? They both had kind of the same scripted answer. It was a non-answer. They refused yeah. to acknowledge the humanity of that child because they know it would hurt their abortion position. Instead, they touted the tired talking point, women's right to choose. I'm for, if you're asking me about Roe v. Wade, I support it. No, we're asking you, is it a baby? <laughs> right. It's like, is it a baby at 15 weeks? So this, this should it's, be, just, it's wild. It should be something that if you believe in it, you should own, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, like I, people sometimes will say, uh, you know, you are trying to, you know, 15 weeks, you're trying to get an abortion ban, 15 weeks in Minnesota, Mississippi. And I know you conservatives, what you really want is no more abortions. I can tell. Yes, yes. you <laughs> nailed it. We yeah. are, t that is exactly what yes. we're going for. Yes. And yes, we're going to take every little step we can do yes. to get to that end. I'm totally happy and feel great about admitting that. Yes. Why don't they feel so good about embracing their own position? That's a great point. That's a great point. And I, I pro-lifers are proudly, I'm proudly anti-abortion. They say pro-birth. I think every child deserves a birthday, 100%, yeah. you know, yeah. first to be born. Um, do I care about kids after birth? Yes. But you're right. I mean, Speaker Pelosi didn't, you notice she did not say when that reporter asked her, is the fetus a baby at 15 weeks? She dodged the question. She said, I support Roe v. Wade. And then she said, I have had four kids, so I have the right as a woman. I mean, you had four babies, so you have the right to kill your babies. I mean, it doesn't logically hold. It never has. Mm -hmm. um, all they have is rhetoric and they have fear. And that's the other thing. This, as a woman and as a mom myself, I'm ex we're expecting our second 20 weeks. We're already 20 weeks. Mm. The fear that they instill in women. 
to say you need abortion to get move on with your life. You need abortion to be able to be healthy, to have a successful career, whatever it is. That is the thing that 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 outrages me the most as a woman to pit you against your child and instill fear where their bond should be one of love and sacredness. Um, and to have mm. the most powerful politicians in the world in their positions of privilege, like Speaker Pelosi, um, instill fear in American women by saying Roe is under attack and you're under attack. Uh, it's just a big lie. But yeah. the more people are educated, I think, Stu, and you know, the story of Richard at born at 21 weeks preterm, I think it opens people's eyes. And that's, I love seeing that, yeah. that awakening to, the, to their humanity. Let me take you to a, a sort of tough part of your book here. Uh, from from this part you, you talk late in the book about going to a doctor's appointment and you, you meet with a doctor who is conservative I mean you want to go find someone who opposes uh, abortion like you do not easy to find in this day and age you think you found one can you talk about this a little bit sure and I will say a lot of abortion a lot of doctors are uncomfortable with abortion but they're trying to desensitize them in medical school. Mm -hmm. So they actually make, they try to make abortion part of the rota rotation for most medical students. Mm -hmm. This is an active push because, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there were articles coming out, oh, the abortionist population is aging. We need to get young recruits because young recruits don't grow up wanting to be an abortionist one day. Yeah. They want to heal people. Right. They want to save people, right. not kill people. Yeah. So I write about trying to find an OBGYN in Los Angeles when we were expecting our first and a pro-life one. And I was recommended one by a friend who said, oh, you know, she's, she seems pro-life, you know. I sit down with her. Um, we had this conversation that it was so compelling and heartbreaking to see someone who thinks they're holier than thou, basically, than other doctors in her practice because she said she wouldn't kill a Down syndrome baby. Yeah. She wouldn't do elective abortions. And then I said, well, would you do any? You know, it was kind of strange how she was qualifying right. her anti-abortion yeah, sentiment. Yeah. And she acknowledged she did abortions on children with hydrocephaly or anencephaly, which is a condition where they're missing part of their brain or they have water in the brain. And they, it, they're usually fatal conditions, not always. Mm -hmm. And the justification was, oh, they're going to die anyway. And I just remember looking at her and saying, we all die. Yeah. I could get my car on the way home to my apartment right now to downtown LA and I could die in my car in an accident. The fact that we're going to die doesn't justify somebody else killing you, especially when you're a baby. You know, give, yeah. him, give him a chance to live for whatever that le le length of life will be. Let him be loved in their last moments instead of injected with poison by an abortionist or dismembered by an abortionist. You talk I mean, about, where's our humanity? Yeah, you, you talk about a, a baby, I think Jackson is the name, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that had this condition. Yes. Lived till five years old. Yes. Um, they brought, said he would die before birth. Yeah, brought incredible joy to the yes. parent's uh, life. Yes. And you talk about the distinction between abortion and mm -hmm. sometimes if the mother's life is is in doubt, is, is there could be an mm -hmm. issue, just early delivery yes. and do your best. Right. Like there is a huge line between those two. And things. those typically aren't hydrocephaly cases. Right. Those are very severe, very rare cases where you may have to do an early delivery, but you try to save both. Mm -hmm. You know, you try to get that pregnancy to 21 weeks, like baby Richard, yeah. who was just born at 21 weeks. So there's a chance of saving the life of the baby. And, you know, we interview a lot of OBGYNs and um, specialists at Live Action. And I remember talking to Dr. Anthony Levitino, who used to be an abortionist. Then he worked at a high-risk clinic in upper, New upper state New York to help women with high-risk pregnancies. He said, there was never a high-risk pregnancy in my clinic where I had to kill the baby. There was always the option where I could fight for both lives and, and try to prioritize both lives. So this idea that abortion's a medical treatment is a lie. 
that's been mainstreamed by our medical profession. Um, thankfully, thousands of OBGYNs that are speaking out. We just need to get their voices out there more. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how much of this can be helped along by what we're talking about here with technology and science and, med and the medical um, treatments getting better, getting more uh, successful, making it so that these lives can be saved. They're not death sentences if they're born mm -hmm. at 18 and 19 and 20 weeks. As that advances, does that make this argument easier to communicate to people? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, if you can medically save a baby born at 18 weeks, all of a sudden there's zero justification. Like you can't even concoct any justification for killing that same baby, just deliver. Because keep in mind, in every abortion, you need to deliver the baby. Yeah. This is where the, there's like a mindlessness to the pro-abortion position. They think the pregnancy just magically disappears. No, the baby needs to be removed from the woman's body by force, by, by naturally inducing labor, or killing the baby first or letting the baby be born alive. And so delaying, you know, extending the pregnancy for as long as possible, and then investing in medical technology, that there's some of this happening. I think there needs to be more. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. The conversation around women's rights in healthcare today is so much about abortion. Yeah. Instead of better maternal outcomes, better care for the child, prenatal care, better medical technology to help preemies, that's where our focus should be. Yeah. Instead of justifying killing as a solution. Yeah, and I think that just is so clear that it's not about the medical solution when in this it's argument. Ideology. It's, it's, it's ideology. Yeah. It's something completely different. Mm -hmm. I, was, I, was talk, I was listening to um, uh, uh, Michael Knowles. Uh, he has a new book out uh, this week. It's called Speechless. And it talks about, it's really focused on language and how mm -hmm. important language is. And it's really, it's an interesting read and I'd recommend it to, to you uh, along with Lila's book as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Michael. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, but it, I find the pro-choice versus pro-life framing mm. as the maybe single most amazing success in the change of language and changing the meanings of words and framing conversation for outcomes in my view yeah. that are terrible but like this idea that it's about choice is right. just completely false right imagine if you're for child abuse or you know rape or some other bad deed and you say i'm pro-choice I'm pro-choice. I'm pro the right. choice to abuse my child or not. I mean, some choices are not choices that the law should permit. You can still make the choice and then you should have penalties for it. Right. You know, there should be protections for that innocent person. And, you know, with a child in the womb, there's no choice that a parent has to own that child, to control that child. You know, we're entrusted with children. We're their guardians. Um, we're there to advocate and care for them, not to own them, control them, abuse them or kill them. So there's no choice that means the choice to kill another. That seems so obvious when you say it that way, you know, and if, if a baby was born and, you know, leaving the hospital a few a few weeks after they get in, or, you know, get into a car accident, something terrible happens that seems like it's a death sentence. There would be right. no one arguing right. for them to just be, well, just put them down like that's not what we do with human beings. Right. But you're so right about words because. You can use phrases like women's rights. Sounds like a great yeah. phrase. Um, you know, reproductive freedom or justice sounds very positive. Um, you know, even my body, my choice has like mm -hmm. this like sense of autonomy and independence to it, which sounds appealing, the word choice. Uh, but when they're really just uh, euphemisms to mask the direct and intentional murder of an innocent human being, it falls apart. 
but people buy into positive sounding framework, especially if it's part of a mainstream narrative. And that's that's the whole trouble with this. You know, our institutions are corrupted right now. Most of our school, you can go through K through 12 years of public school and never hear the pro-life position. You'll just hear pro-choice as mainstream and the, the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to a young woman. She, she was said she was even Christian, but she always thought pro-choice was obvious. Like, yeah, pro-choice sounds great for women need this right, it's great. And then a friend actually showed her what an abortion was, showed her a live action video of the abortion procedure narrated by a former abortionist. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden she was just like, the light bulb went off and she's like, this is choice. Yeah. No, I do not support this as a woman or as a human. Um, I'm against this, this is murder of yeah. a human being. That's the light bulb moment we need to go for, but it's amazing how society can turn off the lights with false language. Yeah, no, it's very true. So, uh, And so much of the, the, the conversation about this revolves around the, the sort of political and, and legal side of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, will it will abortion be legal? Will it not be? Will Roe versus Wade be overturned? Right? It'll be thrown back to the states, and uh, it's in, obviously incredibly important and something worth talking about. But it strikes me as like it, it, in some ways secondary um, because of the fact that, like, if you look at right now, as you point out, the Democrats' p platform is nine-month abortion. You know, last week, last-minute abortion. Um, the Republicans have a better position, obviously, uh, in my view on that, but they have absolutely no power and no real chance at this moment to do anything about it. Uh, so in these moments when really politically there's there's nothing going on except for a future election, maybe in something that might go on in the courts. What do you do in these times? Well, there's the state level. You know, in the last two years, there's been unprecedented pro-life legislation at the state level. Um, Texas banning abortion, heartbeat bills, um, mm -hmm. Alabama banning abortion. So that's important because it's showing the will of the people here is to set set it right yeah. is to bring back justice mm -hmm. and it's something it's interesting you were saying that about the supreme court and this whole conversation about the law and you know that's kind of secondary to you know this is just the reality of what's happening killing these human beings um the fact that we as a democracy even think we have the right or the supreme court even thinks it has the right mm. to relegate a whole group of human beings to relegate away their rights you know, you as a democracy, you don't have the I don't get to go to the voting booth and decide, should innocent Stu live or die? <laughs> right, right. You know, that's not how democracy is supposed to work. That's called tyranny. Yeah. Uh, and so the fact that we're even having the conversation of whether or not the states will decide to let the children live. <laughs> right. That's not your decision to make. <laughs> right. They have a right to live that no matter what bad law you make, they still have that right. So is, is the goal is the goal basically then. Sure, you work on these things. You work on politics. You work on the legal side. But it's really a it's it's mass persuasion. It's yes. making people see the light. Yes, it's light bulb moments for people to see this is a human. They deserve to live. And it's working in communities to be there for families, you know, helping single moms, um, helping children in foster care. Uh, it's also changing our mentality on sex. I talk about this a lot, and I think it's not popular to talk about today because there's this like hedonism of like, you, as long as there's consent between two adults, you know, they mm -hmm. get to do whatever. Right. Your decisions have consequences and come with responsibilities. And if we think we have freedom without responsibility, we're, we're, it's, it's tyranny again, it's we're, we're goners, our society is in chaos. When you have sex, if you bring a new life into the world, you have a responsibility to that life. Mm -hmm. This idea of unplanned pregnancy, you know, we should be more in control and more seeing as sacred and special sex. I mean, mm -hmm. right now, kids are just, they tell, Planned Parenthood is in the schools telling kids to masturbate, telling kids to sexually experiment. There's no sexual deviancy, whatever you want. There's a, there's a way our, bio, our bodies are designed that's awesome and beautiful, and we should be 
preserving marriage as beautiful and sacred, and that's the place for sex and children, because that's the design of how sex works. It can bring life into the world. Mm. So having that conversation, I think, is part of the solution yeah. too. And it's so many people working against it and going the other way at this time. Uh, fighting for life, becoming a force for change in a wounded world. It's Lila Rose, it's a great book, and it's also really important and a really important time. Lila, thanks Thank for coming you, on. Thanks so much for doing America with me tonight. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. If you get a second, head over to Instagram, uh, my page, Sue Does America. You can give me a follow there, exclusive picks and content. By the way, we did a live uh, coverage, um, a sort of live fact check plus mockery session of Joe Biden's speech the other day on Instagram. You should be following so you don't miss out on things like that. Uh, and the link in the bio also will take you to all the platforms you need for the merch and for uh, all of the, you know, anywhere you want to stream this stupid little show completely free. Uh, don't forget, also, you can subscribe at blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. Look, this is a movement here at Blaze TV. We're defending conservative values every day. We need your help to make sure, you know, like everyone getting canceled all the time, we got to make sure we have a place for people to go. And that's what Blaze TV is and has been for a while. We need your help to keep it going. We appreciate it. BlazeTV.com slash stew. Promo code is stew to save 10 bucks. This situation in Miami is really ugly, man. I mean, if you think about this for a second, uh, I'm going to show you the footage of the uh, collapse here from a uh, security camera. Uh, and you see the whole, I mean, the whole building just basically falls apart. Um, I mean, legitimately, when you look at the overhead view of it, it's something like half the building collapses in the middle of the night, which is just, uh, I mean, you know, people are home sleeping. Um, you know, 1.30 in the morning, I think it was. Uh, Really rough to, to watch. Um, there has been, uh, shockingly, they've been able to pull, I think, 35 people out of the rubble, which is incredible. Uh, they still are hearing banging sounds and such. They think there might be more people down there. There's a kid that got pulled out of the rubble. That happened kind of on camera. You can see some of that footage here, uh, that, which is a miracle. I, they will, I will say they, they're still saying 99 people are missing. They, one person's died already. Uh, 99 people are missing uh, right now. Uh, they don't know. They're not accounted for. We don't know how many of them are still in there. Uh, this is going to be ugly. Uh, so God, you know, um, all you can do is, is hope and pray at this point and uh, hope for the best. Uh, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on with the building. Maybe we'll get on, in on that uh, here as we go forward. Um, quickly, uh, Ron DeSantis uh, is, of course, the governor of that state. DeSantis is, uh, it's interesting, there's this interesting thing going on with DeSantis. He's super popular among Republicans right now. Everyone seems to like him. And one of the things, there's an interesting uh, theory that comes from uh, Hot Air today, which I hadn't really thought of, basically saying that DeSantis is being embraced not only by people who like Trump, because they see him as maybe the choice if Trump doesn't run, but also being embraced by people who really don't like Trump that are conservatives because they're hoping the people who do like Trump will choose DeSantis and DeSantis will be the nominee and not Trump. So DeSantis is kind of getting the best of both worlds there with lots of supporters. We'll see uh, how he can, you know, again, I, I am a little worried that he might be peaking too soon, uh, but he is one of these guys that is really, I mean, he's definitely out front. Uh, right now. Another guy who seems to be positioning himself for a potential 2024 run is Greg Abbott, the governor here in Texas. A uh, new poll is out of, of, uh, of McConaughey, uh, who, of course, the actor potentially running against Abbott. Now, 
He has not said he's running. No one said he, no one has said McConaughey is running except the media who keeps trying to make it a thing. Uh, right now they're saying 49% approval rating for Greg Abbott here in the state, 42% among uh, Matthew McConaughey, and Beto's down there at 34%. Beto has no chance of winning that election. They know McCon they want to get McConaughey to run because they think he has a chance of winning that election. They are shocked to hear that uh, McConaughey, um, a 36% of people say they haven't heard enough about McConaughey. Like, that's a shocking thing. Well, he hasn't listed any of his freaking policies. I haven't heard enough about McConaughey. He could be like the greatest conservative in the world or the worst liberal in the world. Anywhere in there. Somewhere in there is Matthew McConaughey. We don't know anything about what he actually believes. We just know he's from Hollywood, so he's probably a liberal. It's about all we know. So we'll see what goes on with that here. Uh, if McConaughey can be goaded into running for governor. Back in a second. So if you're running a business, HR issues uh, can be a disaster. Uh, wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, uh, labor regulations. Uh, it's all, I mean, it's, you're dealing with the government. You're dealing with all that red tape. It's, it's a hassle. You need someone who knows what they're doing, but you might not have 70 grand a year to fork, you know, fork out to an HR person. Bambi, it's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. -E. It was created specifically for small business. Now you can get a dedicated HR manager by phone, email, real-time chat, for like 99 bucks a month. And we're talking about people who are dedicated to your business. So you're not getting a different person every time you call or anything. They can do onboarding and they can do terminations. They can customize your policies to fit your business. And they can help manage your employees day to day. All for 99 bucks a month, are you kidding me? That's a great value. Month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. How are they doing this? Go to Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash stew right now. Schedule your free HR audit. It's Bambi.com slash stew, B-A-M-B-E-E. Dot com slash stew. Don't forget the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Bambi.com slash stew. Mumford and Sons has lost a member. Winston Marshall, he's officially left now. You might remember this story because he tweeted a moderate approval or congratulations to Andy No, the journalist who covers Antifa, about his new book. He read the book. He said, yeah, wow, it was a great book. And, you know, it was interesting. You know, congratulations on your achievements. That was terrible, apparently. Can't congratulate someone over their book because he said Antifa was bad. So now he's lost. He was a co-founder of the band. He's now out. Amazing. Now, the band, and they seem to have it somewhat of a cool way of doing this with each other. They seem to like each other still. It's a, but I you feel bad for a guy having to leave his band over nothing. He says, and when he apologized initially after this, he's kind of backing off that apology a little bit. He said, I spent much time reflecting, reading, and listening. The truth is that my commenting on a book that documents the extreme far left and their activities is in no way an endorsement of the equally repugnant far right. The truth is that reporting on extremism at the great risk of endangering oneself is unquestionably brave. I also feel that my previous apology in a small way participates in the lie that such extremism does not exist or worse is a force for good. Good job. Uh, look, that's an awesome way of talking about it. You shouldn't back off of your uh, belief that a book was good. Uh, and, you know, it sucks that he's leaving the band, but at least he's able to stand up and say, look, this is what I believe. I'm going to come out and say it. Damn the consequences. Back in a second.
So you're going to a school board meeting and you're going to complain about critical race theory. Um, what are you going to wear? Wokeness is weakness. I've been saying it for a while now, and it just feels more true every single day. Every single day. If you feel the same way, head over to wokenessisweakness.com. Pick up your very own T-shirt. Uh, it says wokeness is weakness. I've got a bunch of colors there. Uh, there's also stickers, all sorts of stuff. You're going to piss off a bunch of lefties with it. Um, and that's, that's a feature, not a bug. So wokenessisweakness.com. Before we go, we have a story in Pennsylvania. Uh, a headline you don't see very often, a reported exorcism at a local home improvement store. The exorcism in this case was for trees. It took place at the Dixon City um, Commer uh, Commerce Boulevard Home Depot. People came over to see and complained, I guess, that there was an exorcism going on. Police escorted the people out of the store without incident. No charges have been filed at this time. And that's, of course, positive. I would rather watch, though, an exorcism at a Pennsylvania Home Depot than another one of the crappy Conjuring movies they keep releasing. Why do they keep coming out? We don't need any more. And you would save like your $15 on a movie ticket, which is good. Although if you go to Home Depot and you buy a two boy four, it's probably gonna be more like $8,000. So uh, there's a balance there. You gotta make your own choices. In there.